something that Brother Mike did not mention in that uh, brief explanation of who wrote that song. I believe the author was around 15 or 16 years old when he wrote that book, uh, when he wrote that song. And uh, it's pretty amazing to think about that kind of depth coming from that age of a child and uh, could be somewhat convicting if we thought about it, you know, to think about that kind of depth and that kind of commitment uh, coming from someone of that age. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we will get started tonight. Fathers, we come to you again this evening. It is good to be in your house, and Lord, I'm thankful for the rain that you sent our way. Uh, just to have some moisture was a blessing, and it was good to be reminded of your faithfulness. God, I pray that uh, you'd help us now as we spend these next few moments in your word, Lord, to uh, let it speak to our hearts. God, I don't believe that we're here on accident tonight. I don't believe that uh, we're at this passage tonight on accident. I believe that you've led us here. And so I uh, pray that you would help it uh, to speak to whoever would need this tonight or in the days to come. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that most of you know this, but we spent uh, right at four weeks in Nehemiah chapter 3 and watched as the rebuilding of the wall and the gates were taking place, the rebuilding and the repair. And we looked at different aspects of it that I had never really given attention to before, and I trust that many of you had not given attention to in the past. And last week we found ourselves in verse number 20 and watched as it said of a man by the name of Barak, the son of Zabai, that he earnestly repaired the other piece from the turning of the wall into the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. And as we gave attention to verse number 20, we gave attention to that word earnestly, how that Barak earnestly repaired his portion of the wall. And I said, understanding that word from our culture and from our society, the idea would seem to be that he was diligent in his work or that he was serious in his approach. But I said, if you go back and you look at that word in the original, if you go back and look at how it was used throughout the Old Testament, you find that the, the majority of the time, out of the 90 times that it was used, it was dealing with the anger and the fury or the, uh, the burning of, of fury with a person. And so what the indication of the Scripture seemed to be was this, is that though he served and though he did his part in the work of the Lord, he did so with a sense of anger, he did so with an attitude, so to speak, and obviously when he served with an attitude, when he served with some anger, there was a loss of reward and fulfillment associated with what he did. And so I tried to remind us last week that in the work of the Lord, you and I are still capable of serving with an attitude. We can still get bent out of shape. We can still get upset at people. We can still, you know, get our feelings hurt, whatever it may be. And we may continue serving, but we may be serving with an attitude. And that is a, it's a bad, bad, pitiful position to find yourself in because though you are serving, you are missing out on the reward, and you are missing out on the fulfillment that that service brings. And so we've got to be careful so as not to ever allow ourselves to continue serving with an attitude of anger or bitterness, whatever it may be, because it is us who will suffer if that's how we try to serve. Amen. Amen. So that being said, tonight we're going to move on. As we do, I want us to think about something tonight. You know this to be true. I've touched on this before. You don't need me to tell you this in order for you to be aware of this. But tonight I want us to think about this truth. I want us to think about this thought that at some point in our lives, 
People are going to do things that we do not appreciate, and as a result, we will take offense to what they have done. Were you aware of that before I just shared that with you? That at some point over the course of our lives, someone is going to say something, someone is going to do something, and as a result of what they have said or as a result of what they have done, we are going to be offended and we are going to be bothered by it. It could be someone at work, it could be someone in the family, it could be someone here at the church. Someone somewhere is going to offend us and upset us if you have managed to escape offense up to this point in life, I want you to share your secret with me after church. It just can't happen, can it? The offenses are going to come. Now, as we think about that, I want to share something with you. Again, you know this to be true. And that would be this, is that sometimes the offenses against us they are real and they are legitimate. And for us, we could truly say that it was an honest hurt against us. That what this person said, it truly was offensive. It was hurtful. It, it, it disappointed us that they said what they said about us or our family. Whatever it may be, we were just disappointed in, in what was done. We know that sometimes the offenses are real and they are genuine and we can honestly say before God and man that truly was an offense and something that you did or said that was wrong and, and you were out of line in what you've done. We could say that, could we not? But this is also true and we know this but it's kind of hard to admit sometimes. And that is sometimes what offends us really wasn't that big of a deal. You know, they said it, but they didn't really mean it the way we decided to take it and run with it. And we blew it out of proportion, and we let it bother us, oh, so much more than it should have bothered us. If you pay attention, that happens a lot more than you realize. Just this week, I thought the timing of this was interesting. Just this week, I called to visit with Susie for a couple of moments I said something that, that she responded in a way that was just kind of an immediate response for her. And, and I got to be honest and tell you, I got upset because I did not appreciate her response. And then I started studying and I thought, well, I don't care for what the scripture has to say about that. Because it really wasn't that big of an offense. I was just making it a big offense. There have been times that people have done things and, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it was kind of an offense. But if I was honest or if you were honest, here's what we'd have to admit. They didn't really mean it the way we took it. But we were having a sensitive moment or we were having a sensitive day. And our feelings were a little bit tender in that moment. And so what they did, it really, again, wasn't big, but because of our sensitivity, we made it big, and, you know, it just it wasn't that big of a deal. So there are times that offenses come, and they're true offenses. And sometimes the offenses come, and 
They're not as big of a deal as we're making it out to be, but nonetheless, because we've already let ourselves get offended, we tend to hold on to it, that I was offended. So why mention that? Well, notice tonight in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. You may be thinking to yourself, should not we be progressing forward rather than backwards? And generally speaking, that is what you would do in a study. But we're going to go back tonight for a reason. And as we're in Nehemiah chapter 2 this evening, I want us to remember some of what we've dealt with in weeks past. I want us to be reminded tonight that Nehemiah got news that the walls had been torn down and the gates had been destroyed, things had been burned, and that the city was in a state of disrepair and a state of, uh, of chaos, so to speak. And as a result of what Nehemiah heard about his homeland there in Jerusalem, you'll remember that he began to have a burden for the city and the people and the rebuilding of the wall. And we know that as he came to the city of Jerusalem in chapter 2, he did so with the blessing of the king, but yet he spent a few days going about the city at night, not telling anyone what his business was and why he was there and what he was hoping to one day accomplish. You remember this, don't you? Okay, three of you do. And so, nonetheless, that is what Nehemiah was trying to do, and that is what Nehemiah was trying to accomplish. And so it was in verse number 17 that he decided to make his plans and his desires and his wants known. So notice in verse number 17 what Nehemiah said. He said, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire, Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. So it's in verse number 17 and 18 that we see Nehemiah presenting his burden, presenting his plan, presenting his desires to the people of Israel. And he talks about how God is blessed and how God's already worked on the heart of the king. And the king is on board with this. He's behind this. He's, he's willing to help out in this. And we see the response of the people that they are excited and they are ready to get this thing done. Now, as we keep that in mind, let's also consider this, because this is the truth of the matter in verses 17 and 18, that from a human perspective, this is the stage that they are in. They are in the talking stage about what he wants to do. You realize this, right? Nehemiah has only been in Jerusalem for a few days now. And he is at this point standing before the people and he is saying, listen, this is the condition we're in. This is the position that we're in, the, the distress that we are in. The city of Jerusalem lieth waste. The gates thereof are burned with fire. He says, this is where we're at and this is what we're hoping to accomplish. And this is what I'd like to see get done. And as the people respond with great excitement, you know what it is right now? It is all talk. Now, why is that important? It's important for this reason. It's not as though they all went to bed that night, woke up the next morning, and got busy. Because it's not as though the timber had been brought from the king's, uh, uh, not orchards, but, but from his forest, okay? The wood had not yet been cut and brought from the forest, and, and really they hadn't even devised a plan with all the people as to what sections they would take and, and who would be doing what and, and how all this would be accomplished. And so I want us to think about this. This would be true of any large-scale project 
that once the plan is presented, there would be some kind of a lag before the work would get started. So how much time between the presentation of the desire and the building began, we don't know. We just know that Nehemiah presented, and the people expressed their excitement, and everyone, by way of verse number 17 and 18, they were on board. Now that in mind, I also want to focus on this for a moment. We're not going to look there right now, but I want us to focus on this, is that the king was also on board. The king was also on board. Why does that matter? It matters for this reason. The king was ultimate authority at that time. So if the king was on board, then it didn't really matter who was not on board. Because like if the king's for it, then you're either with him or you're against him, but you're not in any kind of neutral territory by way of your attitude toward what the king is for or against. Again, he just happened to be for this particular project. Why are you telling us this again, Brother Kyle? Well, notice in verse number 19. It says, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? So you may remember several weeks ago we gave attention to this, that when Nehemiah presented his burden, whenever he presented his vision, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they did not share in the excitement of everyone else. They began to mock, they began to scorn, they began to laugh, and they began to level false accusations against Nehemiah and what he was really hoping to do. So if you think about this in verse number 19, here is what you begin to see, is that Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they took personal offense to what Nehemiah was hoping to do in the city of Jerusalem. This bothered them, this upset them, this offended them, this disturbed them, this perturbed them. Whatever adjective you'd like to use there, it bothered them immensely, so much so that it says, again, they laughed them to scorn, and they despised them, and then they leveled the false accusations against, the, against Nehemiah in relation to the king. So here are Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, and what are they doing? They're getting all bent out of shape over something that really has nothing to do with them. The king's already approved it. The king has already okayed it. The only thing that Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem need to do at this point is shut up and go with it. Whether they're excited about it or not, whether they're thrilled about it or not, whether or not they're supportive of it, which obviously they weren't, what they needed to do at that point is realize, you know, this doesn't really concern us anymore. This really doesn't involve us anymore. If the king is already okayed it, then it's going to happen no matter what. So in verse 17 and 18, you've got the presentation of the plan. You've got the presentation of the burden and what Nehemiah hopes to accomplish. It's in the talking stages. And it's going to take some time before the rebuilding and the repair begins. 
But in chapter 3, verse number 1, that's exactly what happens, right? The rebuilding and the repairing of the wall began to take place. Now again, we've got to think about this from their perspective and not our perspective. Several thousand years ago when this was happening, when this was taking place, the big equipment didn't come in from the rental shop from the town next door. It's not as though Nehemiah made a few phone calls and said, okay, we're going to need some backhoes, we're going to need some trackhoes, we're going to need some cranes, we're going to need a lot of stuff coming our way. And the equipment began showing up and things began happening in a real visible form in the first couple of days. That's not how it would have happened. Somebody says, why are you bringing this to our attention? Because I want to show us something. Many days, no doubt, had passed by the time or from the time that Nehemiah gave his burden to the people of Israel to the time that you would have noticed any kind of significant change in the area and the landscape of things. So by the time this is happening, by the time all this is taking place, no doubt several weeks, many weeks would have passed. So notice what it says in chapter 4, verse number 1. In chapter 4, verse number 1, it says this, But it came to pass when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. Okay. Why think about that? Why focus on this? Okay, in verse number 1, it lets us know that the rebuilding of the wall, it's basically complete, it's basically done. We know that that happened in 52 days, so there was 52 days in this process that, that, that those days passed, in addition to the time between the announcement of what was planned and what was going to happen. But yet when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was angry. He was wroth, and he took great indignation. And what did he do? He continued mocking the Jews. In verse number 2, it says this, And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews, uh, these feeble Jews be rebuilding a wall? Right? What do these feeble Jews Will they fortify themselves? Uh, yes, actually they will. Will they sacrifice? Yes. Will they make an end in a day? Are they going to get all this accomplished in a single day? Well, no, it's going to take some time. But notice what he asked next. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Do they really think that's what's going to happen? Do they really think that's what's going to be accomplished? Is that really what they plan on doing? Yes, that's exactly what they plan on doing. That's what they've been doing. And guess what? It will get done if it's not already completely done by the time Sanballat hears about it. So upon hearing that the process has actually begun and is in full swing, if not already near the completed stage, 
Sanballat is still angry, he is still full of great indignation, and he is still mocking the Jews and what they hope to accomplish. Then in verse number 3, his little sidekick steps up, and Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. You know what they were trying to do? They were trying to minimize their work. That if a stone, if a fox went up upon the wall, the fox itself would break down this stone wall. That's how good they're doing at building this wall and fortifying themselves and, and doing what Nehemiah says he wants to do for the city. So do you sense in chapter 4 there is still with Sanballat and Tobiah that there's still some measure of offense taken by what uh, Nehemiah is wanting to accomplish? He's still bent out of shape. He's still upset. He's still bothered. He's still frustrated. Now, now remember, this really isn't Sanballat or Tobiah's concern at this point. This has nothing to do with them at all anymore, except they have chosen to make it personal. So in chapter 2, when it's in the talking stage, what did Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem get? They got offended, and they got all bent out of shape, and they took it personal, and it bothered them, and it frustrated them. Now, after several days have passed, maybe after many days or weeks have passed, you know what? Sanballat and Tobiah, they're still bent out of shape that something is happening that they didn't like, even though it did not pertain to them. So I'm just going to throw something out here for us to consider tonight for just a moment, and that is this. It's very simple, and we're going to consider this, and then we're going to move on. You know what Sanballat and Tobiah really needed to do? They really needed to just let it go and move on. You understand this? Okay, so you didn't like it in the talking stage. Okay, I get it. You made it about you. You made it about your concerns. Whatever it is that, that, that upset you, you made it about you, and that's why you despised them. That's why you laughed them to scorn. That's why you said the things that you did. I, I got it. Okay, but now we're talking days, if not weeks, if not months after the fact, and you're still holding on to this? Uh, Sanballat, you just need to let it go. Get over it. This isn't anything personal against you. This doesn't even really involve you. And you are making it all about you when it's not about you at all. And you know what? That'll be a recurring theme throughout the story of Nehemiah, that Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, they cannot let it go. They are going to resist this the entire way because they have somehow managed to make this about them. So all that said, all that in mind, tonight I want to ask us a question in relation to what was mentioned just a moment ago. I said just a moment ago that over the course of our lives, there is no denying that offenses are going to come, correct? They're going to come. Some of them are legitimate, but many of them are not legitimate. Someone at work, no doubt, has upset you, and I'm just going to throw this out tonight just for your reminder, not because you need it, but I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to remind you tonight that someone at work this week will probably offend you again. 
Someone somewhere at work this week is probably going to do something that bothers you, that frustrates you, that irritates you. But truth be told, it's really not as big of a deal as you will allow it to become if you're not careful. They're going to say something. They didn't mean it. But no, I'm having a sensitive moment. I'm going to make this all about me. And because I've made it all about me, uh, uh, I'm upset at what you've done. I'll just go ahead and share this with you because I think if you're anything like me, uh, you'll be able to identify this. There's probably a real good chance this week that your husband or your wife or your child is going to say something or do something that you didn't especially care for or appreciate. Amen. There's a chance, slight as it may be, there's a chance that maybe not today, but in the very near future, someone in this church may say or do something that you didn't appreciate. It's, it's, it's just possible. I have discovered that sometimes people offend me in this church and I have offended people in this church. And if we would all just step back and look at the real situation, most of the things that we got offended at in this church, they really weren't that big of deals, except that somehow we managed to make it about us when it wasn't really about us at all. See, it just happens. Now tonight I want to share something with us because of a tendency that is seen at least in the lives of some people. And that would be, whenever you and I are offended by the actions or the words, the deeds of someone else, when it really isn't as big as we have made it out to be, you know what we have got to learn to do? We have got to learn to let it go and move on. You know what I'm saying? When that person this week at work says something that you didn't appreciate, what you've got to do and what I've got to be willing to do is step back and say, now hold on, it really wasn't that egregious of an act toward me. I just need to let that one slide and move on and not take it so personal. You don't have to respond to this. I'm just telling you what we need to do. And I notice... I'm doing better tonight than I was this morning. I said, we need to do this. Amen. Whenever your wife responds in a way that you weren't necessarily anticipating and you don't appreciate the tone of voice that she used in response to what you just said, you know what I need to do and you know what you need to do? Let it go. When your husband doesn't show you that great love that you, he was supposed to show, and didn't he listen to the sermon Sunday morning about the power of his words? Listen, he may have been a knucklehead and said something he shouldn't have said, but don't assume and don't read too much into it and believe that he meant everything as bad as you think he meant it toward you. We could just be dumb men sometimes. And all the lady said, nothing, apparently. Right, I'm just. Here's the point. Our, our spouses, I don't think, 
are necessarily trying to upset us all the time. So what do we need to do? We need to let it go. The next time that church member does something that you don't appreciate, the next time that church member says something that kind of rubs you wrong and puts your feathers backwards, listen, don't take it so personal. You know, I can't help but be influenced by Brother McCracken and what we heard last week in the preaching. Cry baby. You know, I mean, think about this. How many times do people get at odds with other people in the church because of a statement that was made? Was it a dumb statement? Possibly. But, but what do you need to do? You need to let it go. Just get over it and not take the offense to it that you have decided in that moment to take. Now, now, why is it important that we be reminded to let it go? It's important for this reason. Maybe not all of us, but many of us. You know what we've got a hint of inside us? We've got a hint of sand ballot in us. I'm not still mad, I just have a good memory. No, you've got sand ballot in you. You know what you're doing? You are choosing to hold on to past offenses. See, we need the reminder to let it go because every one of us, we have the ability and sometimes we have the desire to not let go of offenses that really were not that big of deal. You know, and, and so if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, here's what will happen. An offense will take place. It really wasn't that big of a deal. But because we've made it about ourselves and because we're most worried about ourselves, we'll get bothered by it. We'll get frustrated by it. And again, rather than letting it go, we'll hold on to it and we'll hold on to it and we'll hold on to it. And sometimes it's not just for days and weeks. Sometimes it is for years and years and years and years. And for some people, it lasts a lifetime. What are you upset about? I'm upset about what they did. When did they do this? Oh, it's been a while back. Why are we still focusing on it? Because we've got a little bit of sand ballad in us. I'm very disturbed at what they've said. I'm very disturbed at how they acted. Okay, I get it. They probably shouldn't have said it. They probably shouldn't have done it. But when exactly did that happen? Well, it was a while back. I'll admit it was a while back. So why are we still dwelling on it? Because many of us, again, maybe not all of us, but many of us, we have a tendency to hold on to things that should have been dismissed in our minds a long, long time ago because it's really not as much about us as we tend to think it is sometimes. So all that being said, I want us to think about Sanballat again for just a moment. As you look at Sanballat and his willingness and seemingly almost his desire to hold on to what he was offended by and upset and bothered by, I want us to, to, to just answer a very simple question. Did this make him look like a bigger man and a better man? Or a smaller, more petty man? It obviously makes him look like a very petty man, does it not? Wow, Sanballat, 
you have really proven yourself in an amazing way. You ought to be proud of yourself, the way that you can hold on to things for days and weeks and months. Sanballat, you are a fine individual showing us how you can hold a grudge for a long, long time. No, none of us are impressed by that, are we? We look at him and we say, Sanballat, you were a small, petty man. You were pathetic, and your immaturity is revealed in your actions. So if you and I have a tendency to hold on to past offenses, the ones that really were not that serious, the ones that really were not as, as overwhelming as we first thought they were, you know, if we hold on to those, you know what we need to hear tonight, though it may kind of rub us wrong? That doesn't make us the bigger person because we can remember other people's offenses toward us. It reveals how small and petty we are. Oh, Brother Kyle, you're still bent out of shape about that? Yes. Wow. Uh, how about you grow up? Well, uh. No, 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 seriously, Kyle, grow up. That's what it would reveal, correct? See, I didn't want to hear this. I wanted to be mad at Susie Friday. I really did. But it was like the Lord said, hey, Sanballat, get over it. Or you look like an idiot. So I had to practice what I knew I'd be preaching. I took her out to supper and was nice to her, and I didn't want to be, but I was, and it actually turned out okay. I, listen, I'm not trying to be rude, but, you know, sometimes I hear your stories and the things that you're offended by that you're still upset by and the things you're still talking about and the things that you're still mentioning and then the things that you still haven't let go. I'm just going to share with you, but listen, what could be said about me at times. You know, whenever I hear that being said from some of you all, I'm not sitting there or standing there going, wow. This man or woman is something they can hold on to a grudge forever. You know what I'm thinking? This is pathetic. Get over it. Most of us need to be reminded that more times than not, the offenses are not as great as we picture them or dream them to be in our minds. And as a result of that, rather than holding on to it, we need to get past it, get over it, and stop acting like it is the greatest offense that ever took place in our lives. We would do ourselves and our testimony a world of good if we would choose to just dismiss it, move on, and realize it's not worth the effort it takes to remember it and to hold the grudge. We need to get over it. So that all being said, just want to close with one more thought, okay? Because after 17 years of doing this, I've seen a trend and I've seen a pattern over the years. And that's the number of people who like to leave church telling me they don't hold grudges anymore. Bless your heart. But I don't believe you. 
So tonight, if, if you don't hold grudges, just rejoice in that truth between you and the Lord and don't feel the need to share that with me or anyone else. You know, Brother Kyle, I just used to struggle with that, but I just don't struggle with that anymore. Okay, whatever. I don't, I don't believe you. Just rejoice that you've gotten perfect victory over this. You'll probably find out this week that it wasn't as perfect as you thought it was. But if you can identify with this, and maybe right now there's this thought that comes to mind of some offense that you're still holding on to, I would just encourage you tonight, get over it, let it go, move on, stop making it about you, and you'll do yourself a whole lot of good. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us to look at this story of Sanballat, Tobiah. And Lord, how this really is a recurring theme in this story of his attitude, his actions, his response toward Nehemiah. Simply because he didn't like what he perceived to be, do, be do, having done to him. And God, I pray that you'd help us to learn from that so that we don't repeat the same mistake. Lord, help us to be people who learn how to get over it, to let go of it, and just keep moving on in life. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.